Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Welcome to ACF Church. We're so glad that you're here. Super Bowl Sunday, you guys made it. That's why our first service is packing out. I love it. I get it. You want to get back to the lazy boy? Uh, That is wisdom. So uh, thanks for still making church a priority, uh, for being a part of our gathering and making space for this in your life. I I think that uh, 2017 will be the best year ever if it is the year that you place Christ uh, as, as the focus of your life. Uh, If it's the year that you find new ways to make him the center of your decisions, it will be uh, the best year of your life. I believe that with all my heart. So uh, thanks for being here. If you're new to church or, you know, you're not a Christian and somebody drug you here before the Super Bowl party, uh, we're glad that you're with us. Um, This is a safe place to be from all different places. If you are uh, from different faith backgrounds or, uh, you know, you are unchurched or maybe even de-churched, we just say that we're a a church for people like that, uh, as well as those who are maybe new to town and um, maybe you're just coming into ACF Church because you're new. We, We welcome you. Uh, to be here. And so I love the church. I love that we've got people from a lot of different backgrounds. If you are a uh, believer, you've been in the church forever, uh, we need you. Uh, We need you to mentor. We need you to be here. We need you to bring your experience. If you're brand new um, and you're just asking a lot of questions, we need your questions. We need to be pushed. We need to be asked hard questions. And so that's uh, the kind of space that this is. And so uh, we are in a series called The Grind. And uh, we, this, is a, this is a series of talks, it's six of them. Uh, we are on week five. So next week is the final week of the grind. And then you guys will no longer be grinding away at life, right? All of a sudden, uh, you're just gonna launch into a lot of joy and peace in what you do. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. Um, you know, hopefully we've, we've got some tools that we've gotten together here as we've talked about this to experience uh, just the, the, the 80,000 hours of our lives that we spend at work um, with a little bit more purpose and a little bit more intentionality and uh, hopefully you've moved forward in that. I'm going to keep pushing our church and pushing you that uh, this Sunday morning gathering is just the beginning. This is really just the beginning. Uh, this, is, this is a, a launching point into our weeks, and so uh, be in community. Pastor Stewart spends a lot of time helping our, our, our ACF groups to thrive, creating spaces where you can ask good questions and wrestle through your doubts and, and, uh, and struggle through that boss that's driving you crazy or you know an unknown in the future. Uh, you guys need people with you, and so make sure you do that. Find a group. Um, there's kind of no excuse. There's, there's probably one near you, and if there's not, you get to start one. We'd love for you to. So uh, anyway, if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, you can also follow along with me on the screen behind me and, uh, and read it there as well, or download the ACF Church app. And uh, also, I want to invite you guys back next week. We've got some big news about Easter this year. Really exciting stuff in the work works here. So, uh, so don't miss next week, um, but I'm going to leave you hanging. So let's stand up together, and uh, we're going to pray, and we're going to read God's Word. And sometimes it's just good to get your, uh, get your blood flowing and stand up here in honor of God's Word together. Let me read this for us. It says this in verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. 
And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Let me pray over God's word today. Jesus, thank you so much for the church. Thank you, God, that you've been with us this week. Uh, We may not have seen you or recognized you. God, we may not have been very grateful for the gifts that you've given us, and yet, God, you uh, have been providing for us. You have been working uh, just redemption in broken situations in our lives. God, you've been giving us what we need through relationships and resources, and uh, God, there's just so much to be thankful for, God, and I confess that I don't see it many times. So I pray that today could be a reset button for our lives. As we come together on a Sunday morning, and there's just a lot coming this next week and a lot behind us, God, that we could reset and set our eyes upon you. God, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We ask that you'd continue the work as you promise inside of us. Uh, God, I pray for the lonely and the hurting today, God, that they'd find a little bit of a community and, and, and a welcoming space here today. I pray for those who are excited about what you're doing in their lives, God, that you would just ignite that fire in a greater way. And uh, God, we ask that you'd illuminate your word to us. We want to grow through it. So speak exactly what we need to hear to our hearts today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, one of the fun things about being a pastor is I get to tell stories uh, about how I fail in life, and you get to laugh at me. Um, And uh, we feel a little solidarity together because uh, you're just as jacked up as I am. So um, amen. (laughs) Amen. If you can't say amen to that can't say amen to nothing. Um, so feel free to do that. That, that gets me excited. So anyway, um, once in a while, uh, I get invited to be part of some, some pretty big moments in people's lives, um, spe- specifically weddings. Weddings are a lot of fun. And uh, we, we launched a new life group in our house starting out this year with a bunch of young 20-somethings, just married, um, just kind of figuring out marriage together. And so uh, one of the couples asked me, hey, would you marry us in December? And so I was, I was excited to do that, to be a part of this day. And they'd done all the planning, and we had the rehearsal, and it was just this beautiful wedding out in Wasilla, and uh, just, just an awesome, awesome wedding party, a really uh, high-energy wedding party. Uh, I loved it. Uh, the, kind of, the kind of group that you really want to stick around for the reception and, and hang out with them, because they're going to be a blast to hang out with. So we were really excited to be a part of that. And the wedding day came, and you know, the ceremony is going along as expected, and uh, I'm up there with my iPad. I've always got, you know, my notes written out in front of me, and a few things that typically I've prayed about to, to say to this couple, uh, to encourage them in marriage and encourage them forward in life. And so um, it comes towards the end of the ceremony, and it's the big moment. I say, you may kiss the bride, and they kiss, and everybody claps, and everybody's excited. And then I've only got one thing left to say at this moment. And uh, so when you prepare for a wedding, if you're a pastor, you can wing certain parts of a ceremony. Uh, you know, you can maybe kind of just ad-lib the story from the Bible that you know really well, or, or if you know a story about them, you can ad-lib it a little bit. But there are pieces of the ceremony that you read, because you don't screw it up, right? You don't want to screw up certain parts of the wedding ceremony. This is important. And so anyway, so I, I, they, they kiss, everybody's celebrating, and, and I, I say, look at the crowd. I say, um, I, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and they kiss, and then I say, I'm introducing to you. Uh, the new and the improved, um, Aaron and Caleb Carlisle. 
which wouldn't be a problem except for their last name wasn't Carlisle. It was Lee, right? So everybody looks at me, and I've announced the couple, and I don't even know what I've said because I'm reading from my notes verbatim. I've got my iPad, like, right in front of me, and I'm like, now announcing to you Caleb and Aaron Carlisle. And they all stare at me. I'm like, what's wrong? Well, I, I had written... Uh, the bride's twin sister's last name in my notes and had totally failed to say their last name. And so they're like, Lee. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Lee. And then they go walking out and everybody's laughing. And, I'm, and like any good pastor, I lie. I'm like, I meant to do that. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's funny. It's funny, right? And, uh, and so now I'm sweating, right? I'm just sweating. I'm embarrassed. And, and since then, it's funny. My, uh, my wedding invitations have gone down. Nobody wants me to do their wedding. Anyway, um, <laughs> So they go off the stage, and we walk off, and I'm just like, man, I have ruined the moment, like the big moment. Now they, you know, they have the same last name, and I gave them the wrong last name. Oh, I'm terrible. And so I'm thinking, what are they going to think, and how are they going to feel? And I feel really bad that I've ruined this day, and they come up to me after, and I'm like, here it comes. And they're like, that was awesome. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, nobody's ever going to forget our wedding. That was amazing. And they're just laughing, and they loved it. And it was just a blast, and I'm like, oh, great, I'm glad I could make it so great for you, and I don't know, I'm, this is just funny, and you know, because you, you never know, right? I mean, I knew the bride, she's really relaxed, but sometimes things can set you off, you know, and so I don't know what's going down here at the end here, and so anyway, they were, it was just awesome, and they had, you know, one of the funnest receptions I've been a part of, and just a great time together, and, and I was just thinking about that moment, and how that could have gone two ways, couldn't it? I mean, this could have been the, the moment that ruined my wedding, the moment that everything fell apart, you know, where, where the bride and the groom felt like really upset, you know, that this is, now, now everything's thrown out the window. But the thing was, they knew why they were there. And it wasn't to have the perfect ceremony. And it wasn't to have the, the best decorations. It was for two people to become one. Like they had a purpose and so we talked all last week uh, here, we talked about the why behind what we do. And so this week is going to be sort of an, an extension of that, because if you've been praying this week, God, why am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, and hopefully God has given you some, some direction and some passion for something that he wants you to do. As a church, we, we say that we're a church that amplifies the grace of Jesus to the churched and the unchurched and the dechurched. If you don't know why you're here, you can take that as your why. But when you know your why, it helps you to make all the other decisions. But you have to start with why you're here. This couple knew why they were there, and so when something went wrong, it didn't throw them. It was just, you know, it was just a bump in the road, something to laugh about. And you guys know this, like, those are the best stories, aren't they? The best moments, the best stories are when everything falls apart. Like, nobody wants to hear about your Hawaii vacation where it was sunny and you sat on the beach all day long and drank Mai Tais and everything was great. And maybe you brought the kids and the kids were perfect little angels the whole time and they just sat there, you know, and hung out and you just relaxed the whole time. Nobody wants that story, right? We want, the, the plane was late, I showed up, it rained the whole week and so we're inside playing Parcheesi, the kids are screaming, you know, the the, the roof started leaking in the hotel room because my stupid husband didn't get a nice hotel room. And it just, we want to hear like real life, right? That's, that's what we want. We're sick, aren't we? We're just sick. We, but it really is, we feel more human, right? We feel more human when we see that everybody else is kind of a mess too. And sometimes things don't go planned. It doesn't always look like your Instagram profile in real life. It, it, it turns into a mess. 
But what will you do when God gives you a why, when he gives you a purpose and an intention, and something comes up to distract you from that purpose? What will you do in that moment? And some of you this week, maybe you left here believing that you were gonna, you were gonna live intentionally and, and believing that, okay, I've got a greater purpose in life. And you, on Monday, went into work and you lost it because your boss came in and criticized everything that you did last week. Or a coworker showed up and they just started driving you crazy. Or, or maybe your kids, when, as soon as they got up, like you were happy right up until 6.59 a.m. But when 7 a.m. hit and the children woke up, your life fell apart. Aren't we distracted by little things? Aren't we thrown off by so many different things? In this story of, of Nehemiah, what we've got is, is a situation where this is, this is about 444 B.C. And Nehemiah is, is this man, and he's, his job is the cupbearer cup to the king. And if you've never heard that before, basically he's like a wine taster. Well, not like a Napa Valley, California, just drinking wine all day long kind of wine taster. He, his job is to find the poisoned wine and to protect the king. And so, which is, talk about, you know, occupational hazard. His whole job is just to die instead of the king by drinking the poison wine. And so if he, if he actually does his job, he's dead. Um, so great job. Um, maybe not the funnest job. But uh, he is also kind of a confidant to the king. The king knows him well. He's in, a, in a, a tight relationship with the king as well. And so there's this moment. He's a Jewish man, and he ends up hearing about how Jerusalem is in rubble. You see, a hundred years before, the Babylonians had conquered the, the southern kingdom of Judah, and the walls were torn down of Jerusalem. And so there's people living in the city, and you know, they, they're doing their jobs, and they're going throughout their days, but they, um, they can't actually go back to normal life because they are unprotected. You see, a wall is really important. A wall is like a front door on your house. And if you're anything like me, um, I always lock the front door. I would never like go to bed with the front door wide open. In fact, there have been a few times, you parents get this, where like a kid has maybe walked out the back door later on in the evening and they have left the door cracked and then we've gone to bed and I wake up the next day. And then if you're anything like me, you have to walk through the whole house and like what's stolen, what happened. You know, I'm sure somebody's been in here last night. I'm, I'm always thinking somebody's trying to break into my house, right, man? You know, it's just ready for that stuff. And so, you know, for them, they need a front door, and their front door is a big wall. And so Nehemiah, he, he actually, his heart breaks for God's people. His heart breaks, and so he goes to his boss, and he says, hey, can I get some time off to go and rebuild the wall? And what we're going to see in, in, in the next few verses is that it gets hard. Rebuilding the wall is hard. This drama ensues, and the local political leaders do not want Jerusalem to be rebuilt. It's going to be a threat to them. Uh, monetarily, politically, they don't want to deal with it. And so he comes up with all of this opposition. And I was reading this and I'm like, and to this day, we are still fighting about building walls, right? I just, I couldn't help but connect it to what's going on right now. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help but go there. But anyway, so drama, drama, drama ensues as Nehemiah feels deeply convicted to rebuild this wall. And what you're going to see in Nehemiah, if you ever want to just read a book about leadership, and about how to motivate people, is that this man has a, a, just a white-hot why. I mean, he just knows exactly why he's here, what he's doing, what he's about, and nothing will distract him. And if you have a pen, write this down. We can't always control our moments, but we can control our minds. You cannot always control your moments. 
You can't decide whether your boss is going to treat you well or, or poorly or your kids are going to act well today. And what happens, though, is we, we wake up in the morning, most of us wanting to head towards a certain goal, but then something goes wrong and we become at the mercy of those around us or of our situation. You see, you can't control your moments. You can't control the car broke down on the way to work, but you can control your mind. You can control how you think about those moments. And what we're going to see in Nehemiah's life is he has to be focused so that his people can be focused. Because as a leader, you know this. You know, if you're not focused on your intentions and your purpose, if it's not really clear, then the people who are, who are being led by you, I mean, they will lose it. They will lose their focus as well. So he goes to rebuild the wall, and it just gets hard. People start coming at him. People start making rumors about him. They're getting on Twitter and Facebook, and they're saying all kinds of terrible things about what's happening here in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, already as a leader, is being uh, spoken terribly about, which if you've ever experienced this before, that's, that's enough to make you quit sometimes. I mean, just the, just the opposition is enough to make you quit. People are saying things that are untrue about you. If you ever try to uh, accomplish a big thing, if you ever get a hold of what God has in your heart and you start shooting for it, somebody is going to come against you. I mean, you need to be ready for that. And some of you already experienced this where people come against you. And, and maybe it's just because, honestly, here's the reality. When you have a vision, it intimidates people who have no vision. Do you know that? Like when you have a vision, it intimidates people with no vision. They're going to come at you, and they're going to attack you because they don't like that you are going somewhere. And so be ready for that. In Nehemiah, he experiences this, and so he has to protect the people, protect himself. It's not just social media that's coming at him. People now are starting to make plans to attack those who are working on the wall. He motivates all these people. They're working on the wall. They're building the wall. And yet th there's people who are attacking them, not, not just, you know, as they're uh, saying bad things about them, but actually physically attacking them. Their lives are at stake. Nehemiah 4, uh, 9 and 10 says this, And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Okay, so he gets the people together. He's like, okay, guys, I know we've got a vision. We've got to rebuild this wall. We've got to rebuild the wall. We've got to protect ourselves, but um, we also need to set a guard. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask for God's protection. Set a guard day and night. In verse 10, it says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So this is where the discouragement creeps in. So they are being attacked to the point that they don't know if they can accomplish the goal. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tilting point, isn't there? There's a, there are these moments in our lives where we are going to make the decision to either push forward or not at all. Where there's just so much discouragement, so much coming against us that we are making the decision either to be at the mercy of the moment or we're going to control our minds and we're going to stay focused on the vision. What do they do? They pray. They pray to God and they set a guard which is really important. So if you're dealing with opposition, dealing with discouragement, first you should pray and then you should also act. I mean, don't just pray and hope God does something. Also, you should act. Ask God, what should I do? If there's something I need to do to clarify what, what my vision is, maybe, maybe there's something that I've done that I need to apologize for to people around me. Maybe I'm, I'm going towards the vision and I'm just running people over in, in the process. And so I need to like step back and, and set a guard and try to do something different so that I can protect myself. But it's interesting, they prayed, 
they set a guard, and yet they were still discouraged. They were still discouraged. Here's a question for you. What if this moment that you're going through, what if the opposition that you're dealing with, what if God is trying to teach you something, and what if he's not going to actually change your moment until you change your mind? Like, you've been asking God to get you out of this difficulty so that you can accomplish the vision that he's given you. You've been asking for his favor, favor in this area or that area of your life. What if he's asking for you to change your mind and to trust him before he's going to change your moment? And, and this is my life so often. I just want God to get me out of it so I can feel better, so I can trust him. God, if you just, if you just change my situation, then I will trust you. What if God wants to tr- you to trust him in the moment, in the situation, in the discouragement? And that was what was going on here, I believe. Colossians 3, I think, speaks to this really well. It says this in verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, like we spoke a few years ago, the old you is gone. It's dead. When you're in Christ... You actually put to death the old version of yourself, and Christ comes in. He's your new identity. The old you is gone. The new has come. Now, we don't live for just this life. We live for the life that is to come, which means that we fix our eyes on, on, a, on a farther future than tomorrow. We think about what's to come in the next life. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So good things are to come for those who fix their eyes on Jesus in this life that's to come. That we don't get all caught up in these little moments. That the things that used to upset us or throw us off, they don't have to upset us or throw us off anymore because we are thinking of a life that is to come. And little things like, you know, I was late to work or, you know, the flat tire or the screaming kids, they start to become smaller, don't they? When, when you think about things that are eternal, when you think about why you're really here, it says in five, uh, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to these things. Listen to the li- this list. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So what he goes on to say is like, these are symptoms of somebody who lives in this world. These are the things that come out of your life when you aren't fixing your eyes on Jesus and this life that is to come. Things like immorality, just making bad decisions, immoral decisions. I mean, things that even like your non-Christian friends are like, bro, that's messed up, right? Like, I don't believe in Jesus or anything, but I mean, any human being knows that's a bad choice. That's not good to do. Immoral decisions, right? Impurity or or lust, right? We give ourselves to lust. Again, it's something that comes out of our lives when we're living for this world, trying to satisfy ourselves at the expense of other people even sometimes. That's what comes out of us when we put our eyes on this. Passion, not a good kind of passion, but like obsession with things of this world. Evil desire, I mean, where, where your, your occasional sin or your occasional issue actually turns into a desire that, that's, that's evil beyond that. You're trying to accomplish evil things in this world. Greed, right? If I'm all about the world that I'm living in, it's just all about getting as much stuff as possible. I want the biggest paycheck. I want the, I want the nicest car. I want the biggest house. You know, I want the biggest retirement. Like, I want, want, want. And it all amounts to idolatry, which is to worship something, to worship something. 
It's to worship yourself, to worship the world around you instead of God. So I don't know, for you today, maybe it's, it's something in one of these categories. And you know the, these are symptoms that you are being distracted by uh, so that you're not accomplishing the vision that you're supposed to accomplish. It, it may, you know, you, we could be more specific, you know? Like, what is it for you? Do you have an anger problem? You just get ticked off of the people around you because you can't see beyond the situation that you're in. Maybe, let's be honest here, do you have a drinking problem? Step on somebody's toes this morning, right? Has it become more than something you do occasionally uh, with some friends? Is it something that, you know, okay, so for the past five nights, it's just kind of become how I fall asleep. And, and then it's kind of become something that um, is, is happening throughout the week and in the weekends, and it's kind of this, this self-medication that I'm, I'm using to distract myself from my problems. Again, what are these things that are taking you away from the vision God has given you? What is it? What, what, is, is it an addiction? And do you have like an internet issue? Is it a pornography issue? Is it, is it something with lust where you're like, okay, I find that I try to medicate myself, to distract myself from all of the, the struggle by doing these things. And what you're realizing is this, is this is to fix your eyes on what's in front of you, to fix your eyes on this world instead of on Christ himself and on the vision that he's given you. Just, just know that these are things that are going to come at you if you catch a vision. Because not only does it intimidate the people around you, I believe there's an enemy that it, it intimidates. Like a church full of people with a deep conviction to go and expand the kingdom in their city is a dangerous church. You guys, I want to be a dangerous church. And that's scary to say, but we have to be ready for it. We have to be ready for the attacks that will come. Let's continue on in verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Okay, so they're discouraged, and they're discouraging each other. Are you guys in an environment like this? Where you've got a vision, you've got something to accomplish, and then everybody just kind of thrives on the negativity of the people around them? And they just get more and more negative and more and more negative. Hey, wherever you turn, they're just going to attack you. You're just going to fail anyway. Like, why will you do this? Some of you get this from family even. And those are the hard, harshest wounds. Is when the people who you love the most, who love you the most, are those who believe in you the least. And that's hard. That's hard when you're trying to get traction in your life. And you're like, no, I'm really trying to dream. I'm really trying to, to be what God wants me to be. And they're like, yeah, but you're not. Yeah, but you're not going to do that. Let's be honest. You're never going to accomplish that. These are harsh words. Watch how you speak to each other when we're dreaming together. Verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. This is interesting. With their swords, spears, and bows. Okay, so you've got all these people working around on the wall, and Nehemiah's like, you know who I'm going to put next to you as you work? Your wife and your husband, and your kids. Now, you want to see somebody work? Put them next to their kids. I mean, you want to see, it, it, you're being threatened by these people, and, and you know this wall, once it goes up, will provide safety and security for your family. You want to see them work? Don't put the family on the other side of the wall as you're putting bricks up. Put them next to the person who's working. All of a sudden, you're working a little harder, right? All of a sudden, your coffee breaks are a little bit shorter. You've got a vision, and you know you got to accomplish it because this isn't just about my own safety now. This is about the safety of my kids and my wife or my husband. Like, this is about something greater. 
So he puts them with their, their wives and their husbands and kids. They've got swords and spears. Just imagine, you know, your, your son and your daughter, they're like trying to hold this sword. I'm not sure how to use this thing, but I'm going to try. You know, if somebody comes at my dad while he's working on the wall, right? After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters your wives, and your homes. I want to tell you guys today, don't be afraid of the opposition. Don't be afraid of those difficult moments. Fight for your families, for your sons, and for your daughters. Now, what if the, what if the vision that God has put in your heart is that big of a deal? I mean, do you ever think that, that this, is, this is actually about not just you, but also your kids? And maybe you're like, Brian, I'm single. I got no kids. Well, you might someday, right? Or, or your siblings' kids, you know, or your siblings. I don't know who it is, but this is not, like when we, when we are given a vision by God and we fail to go after it, this is going to hurt our families. This is going to hurt our kids. This is going to hurt future generations. Our decisions today is ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska on Super Bowl Sunday. Your decision today Will, will actually be affecting the fate and the future of your kids for years to come and of the people that are in your family. Think about that. And see, I don't think I, don't think I think like that many times. I'm just like, eh, I don't know, Brian. I'm not that motivated to accomplish much. What if you were fighting next to your kids? I mean, you're like, I don't have any yet, maybe. But what if they were there next to you? Would you fight differently? Would you pursue things differently? I hear this all the time. People come into church, and they haven't been to church in years, and I'm like, hey, why'd you come to church? And they're like, well, to be honest, I don't really know if I believe this stuff, but I know my kids need to hear about Jesus. And if that's you here today, I'm glad you're here. But I want you to want something for yourself. Like, it's good to fight for your kids, but fight for yourself too. If they deserve Jesus, you do as well. You need to hear the truth. You need a better future. You need more to come than just I live, I make a few bucks, and I die. I mean, there is so much more for us to believe in. Put them with their families. Write this down, if you will. Opposition will either break us apart or bind us together. Isn't that the case? Opposition will either break us apart or bind us together. Uh, this is why I love watching the HGTV shows where you've got the husband and the wife trying to do a kitchen remodel. You guys like those shows? You just never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, you know by day three, there's going to be like tools flying at each other and screaming and like, you know, a countertop's going to come flying out the window. And I mean, it just gets dramatic because if you want to test a relationship, just, you know, put on a little bit of pressure. <laughs> just try to do a kitchen remodel. Some of you know that, right? You're going through it right now, maybe. Opposition will either bind us apart or it'll either break us apart or bind us together. You know the opposite is true as well, right? It's kind of this battle buddy mentality. You will never build a friendship with somebody like the friendship that you build when you've gone through something difficult with them. Have you ever gone through something hard with somebody? I mean, that will build the relationship. I think that we live in a world full of shallow relationships. Why? Because we isolate ourselves when we should be leaning into community. Why? Because when people could be uh, building us up and in relationship with us and encouraging us during hard times, we're like, I'm strong enough to do this. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'll take care of myself, you know. I'm speaking especially to you men in the room. Let's be honest, guys. Like, we tend to do this, right? We tend to do this. We, we tend to think, I can take care of this 
myself. And we need community. This is what we need. You will never develop deep friendships if you don't begin to be honest with people. This is part of why the Bible talks about confession. Confession is a powerful thing. James says that we should confess our sins to each other so that we can be healed. And maybe you've heard it said before like this, that you're only as sick as your secrets. What is it that you're keeping a secret? What is it that you think that you can take care of on your own? What is it you're like, I'm strong enough, I don't need people in my life. Jesus needed people in his life. I think you do too. I think we all do. We need people who will encourage us, who will say, no, you know what? You heard God speak. You have a vision in your life. Keep going for it. Don't listen to the haters, right? You're going to have some. They're going to come up against you. Just keep going. Or maybe somebody that you're like, listen, I'm giving away, giving away to this temptation. There's something in my life that I know is a distraction from the purpose God has given me. And they will help you to rescue those moments. They will help you to make the right decision so you can move forward. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Isn't that cool? What a great passage. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Like, if you've got a brother in your life, or somebody that you, you're like, I trust this person to a little bit, like I trust him a little bit, I want you to know that, that if they're somebody who you can trust, that they were born for adversity. Like, they were, they were, they're here in your life so that they can walk through hard things with you. And, and I've been in groups uh, for, for most of my Christian life where I sit down with, with a group of men, and we, we get to know each other a little bit, and it gets, it's shallow. We talk about hunting and fun stuff. And we talk about guy stuff for a little while. Then somebody has the guts to share something that's really deep in their life. And the whole tone in the room shifts. And all of a sudden, other guys are like, yeah, I'm struggling a little bit here as well. And before you know it, like we walk out of this space and we might have only known each other for a couple weeks and there is a deep bond that I believe some men and women in this world have never experienced in their lives because you have not been the person just to say, okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to put myself at risk and just see what happens. Now choose wisely, right? You've been burned before, haven't you? You've said something honest to the wrong person and they used it against you. But don't use that as as an excuse not to trust people. I believe that we are intended to fight together. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's like, you need to fight with your families. You need to fight with people around you. And I believe that God will bless your honesty and you will bless others with your honesty. Again, that's what we just want. I think deep down inside, we just want honesty. We want to see your real life. We want to believe that you're a real human being and and that you're just as messed up as we are. And then we can actually move forward together honestly. So Nehemiah 6, I want to jump ahead. In verse 3, or verse 1, it says this. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Listen, so, so these are the local political leaders sent to Nehemiah saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Okay, so, so just picture. So here they are. They're working on the wall. The wall's getting higher. 
and the doors aren't quite hung yet, but people are like, this is going to happen. I can't believe this. Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. God's you know, people are going to inhabit the city again. I cannot believe it. And so they're getting traction. And so these local political leaders are like, what are we going to do to stop the forward motion? And so they get like a letter, and they write out a little note, and they put it in this messenger's hand. And the messenger goes to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, with all these other people, he's up on a ladder, right? He's working away, and he's just putting bricks on the wall. And this guy shows up, and he's like, hey, he shakes his ladder. Hey, Nehemiah, I've got, a, I've got a note for you. It says this, hey, come let us meet together. We're going to meet in the plain of Ono, and let's just get some coffee. Maybe get some lunch, hang out together. You know, let's just get to know each other. And Nehemiah, he's a wise guy, right? He knows, he knows what's going on here. Verse 3, and I sent messengers to them saying, and I want you to listen to this, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? That's a really good question, isn't it? I mean, that's a question of conviction. That's from a man who's up on this ladder. Somebody comes and says, hey, I've got an opportunity for you to meet with these local political leaders. Maybe you can just kind of figure this out. It's a trap, isn't it? It's a trap, and Nehemiah knows it's a trap, and he's like, ain't nobody got time for that. I am working on the wall. God has given me a vision. He's given me a plan. I'm not going to be distracted by this or by that. You can tell them, why should the work stop? I love that he says this, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work. Like, I don't sense personal pride there, like he thinks he's amazing. I sense conviction that when you're doing what God calls you to do, you're doing great work. Like, what is it that God has given you? Maybe you've minimized the value of whatever it is that you are doing, your vision that God has given you in your life, the why in your life. You need to know that when you accomplish that, you are doing great work. And here he has an opportunity where if he were to come down, think if he were just to be like, okay, I'll stop for a few minutes. I'll just take a little break. I needed a breather anyway. This wall's kind of wearing me out. And he goes down, and he meets with them. Then he would have been killed. And they know that if you, kill, if you kill Nehemiah, you kill the forward traction. You kill the leader, you take away the leader, all the people will then begin to fall apart. They knew this. The story's awesome. Read the story. They finished the wall in 52 days. They finished the wall. And, and what you don't read in the story, it's, it's not like maybe some other stories you read in the Bible where you're like, okay, and then the, you know, they, they blew some trumpets and they walked around the wall and then God built the wall for them, right? And the wall appeared. No, this is blood, sweat, and tears. They were convicted. They had a job to do. They had all kinds of distractions, people trying to kill them, people trying to take them away from the work that God had given them. And they were like, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to focus. We're going to get this done. And in 52 days, the walls are built. It's a miracle. It's amazing. I want you to write this down. Greater resolve to your mission will rescue your moments. If you're, if you're distracted easily, if you've got these little moments where you're, you're, you're taken away from where God wants you to go, you need to come back to your mission. Come back to why you're here. I mean, for us as ACF Church, we believe there's no greater calling than for us to help somebody experience and receive the gospel. 
Like, I don't think there's anything better. You can accomplish your goal. You can get to the, you know, to the, that, that position of authority at work or to that pay scale that you're going for. You can accomplish all those things, and they pale in comparison to somebody who gets it for the first time. You guys, we're celebrating this week, and we just got to do this once in a while. We baptized 53 people in the past two weeks. Can we praise God for that? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like, come on. How cool is that? 53 people. 53 people. I don't know if you've been baptized or maybe it was like 50 years ago that you were baptized, but that is terrifying, right? One guy was shaking as he's coming up on stage because it's scary to do that. So for 53 people to to gather up the courage to say that I'm not going to play games with this faith thing. I will not be distracted by all this other stuff, by my own insecurities, by my own issues. I'm going to walk forward in faith with what God's calling me to do. 53 people to do that. You guys, listen, there are churches who, who if they see one person get baptized in a year, they are very excited, which is awesome. We would praise God for one baptism. We see 53 and it just blows my mind. But what that is, is that that's a picture of many of you who are living lives on mission. Who are living lives where your moments are being rescued because you're like, you know what? I got no time for this. I don't have time to be ticked off about this little problem or this issue. And this is the stuff that trips up so many churches. Where, where, where there's a vision that God has given the church and people are like, well, I don't like the color of the carpet, right? I don't like that worship band, you know? I, I didn't like the music. And it's like, are we serious? What are we here to do? What is the mission that we're about? Let's not get lost in the medium. Let's focus on the mission that God has given us. I love that Nehemiah knew his mission. I love that he knew where he was going. Somebody here today, you need to look at something in your life and you need to say this, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. You need to look at something in your life and say, you know what? There's, there's a great work that God has called me to. I don't have time for this. And I'm not talking about avoiding your problems. Don't do that. I'm not talking about avoiding issues. I'm saying deal with your heart. If it's unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody in this church, towards somebody in your family, towards somebody at the workplace, or whatever it may be, if it's just like you have this deep-seated unforgiveness and you have not dealt with it, it is sidelining you from accomplishing the mission that God has given you. I guarantee it. Like, it is taking you out of the game. This is exactly what these guys wanted to do to Nehemiah, was take him off the field. You need to look at something in your life today and say, I don't have time for this. God has given me a great work to do. Maybe, maybe you're like, well, Brian, I haven't felt like my work is that great. Again, if you, if you don't look beyond what you're doing with your hands and see the kingdom value that God has put on all of what you are intended to do, you're going to get lost and you're not going to see the value. So what is it today that you need to say, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Maybe you need to just resist the negativity at your workplace. Maybe people just, just get together and their commonality and their solidarity is wrapped up in that we all hate being here. And you're going to be the one that's like, listen, you know what? Um, I don't like being here either, but, but I have a greater call on my life to focus on, and I'm not going to lean into that negativity. I'm going, to, I'm going to realize the mission so that I can rescue the moment. 
So you're going to be given an opportunity to do this later on today. I, I can almost guarantee it. Maybe on the way home from, from church, you'll be given an opportunity to make this decision. Maybe on Monday morning, you're going to be given an opportunity to be distracted. And you will have an opportunity to remember the mission to rescue the moment. Let me pray for us today. God, we just think we're stronger than we are so many times. Um, we are distracted by things that, in the grand scheme of things, really don't matter. And oftentimes we lose focus of the things that really do matter. God, would you place in our hearts a vision? God, would you show us why we're here? Would you open our eyes to the people around us? And God, that, that as we go to our workplaces and um, as we li listen to our families later on today, God, that the people wouldn't just sort of be scenery in the background of our lives. But God, we'd recognize the intrinsic value in every person that we come into contact with. That we would see every moment as a kingdom opportunity to show somebody that there's a God that loves them. And that they can actually make peace with their past actually move forward and they can actually receive forgiveness and no grace God I pray that we would first model that well God I pray when it comes to confession and just being honest with the people in our lives that we wouldn't come to that moment in shame we believe there's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus but God we would lean into those moments knowing that you've already forgiven us but we need help we need help moving forward we need to understand uh, we need somebody to help us process. I pray there wouldn't be a person in this room today that, that chooses to be alone. Because God, there are so many places for us to find community. So burn within us a heart to fight, to fight for our families, to fight for our children, to fight for the kids that, God, we don't even know yet. Give us a greater vision than what's right in front of our face. Help us to see the deep value in every moment. And God, help us to rescue those moments by knowing our mission. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.